Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, when I started this show, I first wondered, like, how will I fill up the entire show? I mean, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's more difficult. We've had now, uh, this is our second guest in a row, where there was so much to say that the half hour that we have here flew by so quickly, and even as it was ending, I'm thinking to myself, um, I hope he'll come back again to talk more because I'm only just getting started. So if you tuned in last week, um, you heard about Michael Freund, who is the founder of Shave Yisrael. Um, he was the deputy communications director for Israeli Prime Minister um, Benjamin Netanyahu in his first term in office. And um, while he was there, um, he got a letter from some people claiming to be Jews in India. They claimed that they were a lost tribe uh, from Menasha. And apparently they had been writing to Israel since Golda Meir's time. Um, and no one had ever taken them seriously or written back. Um, and this guy, Michael Freund, decided that he was going to actually respond. And as he started to look into the issue more, he realized that there was something to this. And he was so moved by it that he decided to start this organization, Shavay Israel. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining us uh, today and talking more about your work. Thanks. It's good to be back with you. I, I just hope you didn't mean to suggest that uh, perhaps I, I talked too much last time, which is why you, you needed to bring me back on for some more. No, we, we had points that we were supposed to cover, and we only got through like a couple things, and it's really so fascinating. Um, I have no problem talking too much. I once won a talking contest. Like when I was nine years old in camp, it was like an hour-long bus ride to camp, and like they didn't think that I could actually talk the entire time, but I just filled up literally an entire hour of talking. So um, I certainly don't judge anyone for talking a lot. Um, if you have interesting things to say, which you do, um, it's fabulous to hear. I wanted to ask you last time, and because we were, you know, I was seeing the clock just run down, I didn't get to ask everything. Why, why did no one respond to this community? Um, I'm saying like you responded in the 90s, so we're talking. Like, 50 years, people ignored these Jews writing in about being Jewish? Like, do you have any insight as to, like, why these people were never taken seriously? Well, it's hard to know with any uh, certainty as to why that was the case. Um, look, Israel, of course, uh, is a country that has been beset by many challenges since it was established, uh, and it's faced existential threats, and of course those kinds of uh, things can uh, grab hold of one's attention, uh, leaving other things to fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, um, you can imagine uh, how many people around the world write to the Prime Minister of Israel, and uh, that includes uh, quite a number of uh, quirky individuals, to say the least. Um, uh, when I worked in the Prime Minister's office back in the 90s, we, uh, we actually, I actually kept something called a, uh, a crazy file, which in effect was some of the, the nuttier letters that uh, we had received in the office. Um, if, for example, uh, if you knew how many people out there in the big wide world consider themselves be the Messiah and feel the need to notify the Prime Minister of Israel of that fact uh, in writing, uh, you would probably hide under your bed uh, each day. Um, so it, it's very possible that these letters were either not received or when they were received, uh, 
they were viewed with a great deal of skepticism. Got it. So what made you take it seriously? Well, um, to be honest, at first, I didn't really take it seriously. I, I thought it was crazy. Um, growing up in the New York area, I, uh, I had a certain image of what uh, Jews are and what they look like. And the idea that there might be a lost tribe somewhere in northeastern India who are our lost brethren struck me as uh, fanciful, to say mm -hmm. the least. Mm -hmm. But the appeal was so emotive, um, and it was so sincere, uh, that something about it just touched my heart, and I, I chose to answer it. Uh, I met with some members of the community, and I initially, I still did not believe that they were from a lost tribe, uh, but I saw that they sincerely wanted to uh, be Jews, to um, keep the Torah and the mitzvot, and to uh, live in the land of Israel. So um, I became involved in helping them through the bureaucracy. I began arranging for larger groups of the Bnei Menashe to make Aliyah. And it was only when I visited uh, northeastern India, and I, um, I spent a lot of time uh, traveling the area, learning about their history and their traditions and customs. Um, it was only then that I really became convinced that, in fact, uh, they are who they say they are. They are descendants of uh, a lost tribe of Israel. So, okay, so this was the first group that you started working with, but I know there's other countries that you've hit um, that we did not get to talk about last time. So if you could tell us about the Chinese Jews of, tell me if I'm pronouncing this right, Kaifang, did I say that correctly? Uh, Kaifang, yeah. Kaifang, okay. I knew I was sure. probably um, that. So, yeah, so if you could tell us about um, what this community is like, what you've done with them, um, pretend that I know nothing and you won't be pretending. Okay. Um, yeah, in fact, Shabbat uh, from my organization, we're now active in more than 15 countries around the world with a variety of different communities. And uh, the Chinese Jews of Kaifeng are uh, among the more exotic, to say the least. Um, most people don't know this, but there was a Jewish community uh, that was established in China uh, as early as the 7th or the 8th century of the Common Era, possibly even before that. Uh, it was established by Sephardic Jewish merchants from Persia or Iraq who traveled along the Silk Route and settled in Kaifeng, uh, which was the one of the capitals of the, um, the Chinese Empire under the Song Dynasty. And um, they began to build a community in every respect. In uh, the year 1163, they built a synagogue. In the Middle Ages, they numbered as many as four to 5,000 Jews. Uh, and they had everything that a typical diaspora Jewish community has. Uh, they had rabbis and an educational system, uh, mikvahot, ritual baths, etc. The one thing that they didn't have, however, was anti-Semitism. And um, as a result, beginning in either the 18th or the 19th century, a process of assimilation and intermarriage set in. The last rabbi of Kaifeng passed away around the year 1810, and uh, the synagogue that had stood there for seven centuries 
was destroyed by a series of floods in the middle of the 19th century. That signaled the end of the uh, community's collective existence. Mm -hmm. But until today, there are about a thousand people in Kaifeng who look Chinese and who speak Chinese and who are identifiable as descendants of the Chinese Jewish community uh, via family trees. Mm -hmm. And in recent years, a growing number of young people there have begun to... uh, express an interest in learning more about their roots, uh, in exploring their Jewish heritage. Possibly because we know that in Chinese culture there is a great reverence for one's ancestors. And uh, the fact that their forefathers were Jews is a great source of pride to many of them, and they want to know more about what that means. Uh, we have been blessed uh, to be able to bring a um, number of uh, young Chinese Jews back to Israel on Aliyah. Uh, they all go uh, through a conversion process uh, under the auspices of the chief rabbinate of Israel. And um, thank God we have the beginnings of a nascent Chinese Jewish community in Jerusalem. Now, can do any of them? Um, can any of them trace back what their family trees? It was my mother's 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 mother, and then say, "That's fine. You're Jewish." Or does it have to be that no matter what they can trace back, it has to be the the conversion? Uh, no, none of the none of the descendants um, in Kaifeng today are known to have a. Um, a matrilineal, uh, a straight matrilineal Jewish line. In other words, the the assimilation and intermarriage um, gathered pace and has been going on for at least a hundred and possibly two hundred years or more. Um, so the the assumption is that uh, that uh, they all need under, need to undergo the uh, the conversion process, uh, which is what they do. Has there ever been cases, because I find this interesting, people that sort of feel this inexplicable pull towards something Jewish, and they start to look into it, and then once they've looked into it, then they find out that they actually have this Jewish ancestry, which I just find to be a very moving and, I don't know, a very sort of spiritual thing to consider that um, a Jewish soul or maybe remnants of a Jewish soul, I mean, because there is this sort of status of Zeri Israel, like having sort of... It, not that it makes the you know the person Jewish, but the the patrilineal component of Jewishness, um, at least uh, according to my Rev explained that his grandfather Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky held that um, having the Jewish father sort of makes a different status of the person that we should reach out to them as opposed to pushing them away. Um, have you seen uh, examples or cases of people that just sort of got interested and then after the interest discovered that there was some evidence of uh, Jewish ancestry? Oh, we see that all the time, in fact. It's, uh, it's quite a common phenomenon, and um, it's a fascinating one, too, because as you mentioned, it often begins with some kind of uh, inexplicable uh, inner pull towards things Jewish, which the individual doesn't always understand uh, where it's coming from or, or why they feel that way. Um, and it, uh, in many cases, it leads people on a spiritual journey uh, to Judaism, and along the way, or sometimes even after they have undergone a conversion, 
uh, is when they discover that, in fact, um, you know, back in their family tree, uh, there, there was some Jewish ancestry there. And for many of them, it represents sort of the closing of a historical circle, as it were, that uh, they're coming back to uh, people, uh, to their ancestors' uh, people. And, um, you know, the, uh, there's a community, for example, that we work with in, uh, in El Salvador, um, in Central America, where um, many of the uh, community members, um, it's pretty clear, have uh, Benayani Sim or Murano roots, meaning their ancestors were Spanish Jews who were forced to convert to Catholicism in the 14th and the 15th centuries and were then persecuted by the Inquisition for continuing to practice Judaism in secret. Um, for many generations. So it's pretty clear that a lot of the people in this particular community have that ancestry, but um, for them it was, um, it was the spiritual component that brought them to Judaism, and along the way some of them uh, discovered this heritage, and not the other way around. Um, to your other point, it's a, it's a very interesting one that most people don't realize. Uh, many of us think in very binary terms that uh, you're either a Jew or a non-Jew. Um, and that's the case, but uh, there's also this category of Zerah Yisrael that you mentioned, the, uh, the seed of Israel or descendants of the people of Israel, who are not considered Jewish according to halakha, but according to many, many authorities, uh, they have a different status mm -hmm. than a, uh, a non-Jew, meaning some assert that uh, we, the Jewish people, actually have an obligation to actively reach out to Zerah Yisrael and try and uh, bring them back and encourage yep. them to return to Judaism. Uh, so um, th that's something that uh, many people just aren't familiar with, but um, there's a rabbi in Israel, Rabbi uh, Amsalam, who wrote a, uh, a volume a couple of years ago called Zera Yisrael, in which he collected uh, sources uh, going back to uh, the Talmud uh, through the Geonim and the, the early authorities and the later authorities, uh, which underlines what a central uh, idea this is in Jewish thought. I love it. I mean, because I think, you know, we really have this idea of, you know, we don't proselytize, we don't convert, we and that certainly is a Jewish idea, but whenever um, I'm contacted by someone that has this Jewish, uh, you know, ancestry, I always feel like, you know, we, we could use as many, um, you know, sort of sincere and active and positive participants as possible. And I always feel like it was some anti-Semite somewhere, you know, that, or not always, but often. I mean, I guess sometimes it's just, you know, intermarriage assimilation, but a lot of times I feel like there was some sort of tragedy of Jewish history that, um, you know, pushed the family away from the Jewishness and, you know, sort of led to the intermarriage or assimilation, and um, it's time to welcome them home. Do you have any, like, specific anecdotes that, um, sorry, anecdotes, there we go, that you could share with us of, you know, some particularly moving um, stories of people that you guys have helped along the way? 
Sure. Uh, just before doing that, I just want to um, add to the point that you made that um, you know I, I believe it's the pentaliyot, it's the it's the Jewish spark that is in each of us, and in in some cases because of historical uh, circumstances or catastrophes or tragedies, that pentaliyot became buried, uh, but it it continued to to burn within, just not all that brightly until uh, the time came when it was possible for it to reignite. And I think that is, um, in a certain sense, what, what we see nowadays with, um, with many of these people who are uh, suddenly coming out of the woodwork and, uh, and looking to join the Jewish people. Um, in terms of uh, some anecdotes, uh, well, we're, we're active in Poland, with the hidden Jews of the Holocaust. Uh, as many people know, uh, there were three to three and a half million Jews in Poland before the war, and uh, over 90% of them were murdered by the Germans and their collaborators, which left about 300 to 350,000 Polish Jews alive after the war, most of whom initially went to Poland to seek out uh, loved ones who may have survived or reclaim assets, and then they got out of there, thank God. But uh, many chose to stay. And in addition, there were many thousands of Jewish children who were put up for adoption during the war or prior to the war because their, uh, their parents saw the inferno that was coming and they wanted to, uh, to save them. And since the downfall of uh, communism, a growing number of young Poles and uh, to discover or rediscover uh, the, the secret that had been hidden in their families in many cases. And they've begun to uncover their uh, Jewish roots. Uh, each year we hold seminars in various parts of Poland for such people uh, to give them an opportunity to learn about Judaism and experience a traditional Shabbat. A couple of years ago we, we held such a, uh, a seminar in a town called Auschwitzim, which is better known as uh, Auschwitz. Uh, there was a Jewish community in Auschwitzim prior to the war. There's a, a beautiful synagogue there that was uh, refurbished uh, called Lombe Nishnaios. Uh, so we held the seminar and the Shabbaton there in the town. And on the Sunday morning, we, uh, the group, we, we drove to uh, visit the death camp. I was in the car with uh, Steve Lindy, who was the editor of the Jerusalem Post at the time, and the gentleman driving us was a man, a man named Mariusz, who was 64 years old and was from Krakow. He was a lawyer. Uh, we got out of the car, and we began to walk towards the entrance, and Mariusz stopped suddenly and said that he could not enter. And I asked him why, and he, he burst into tears, and began to weep. And uh, then he told me that uh, 13 years previously, when he was 51 years old, his mother was dying in the hospital. He was with her day and night. And at one point, she called him over and said, there's something I have to tell you. Um, we are Jews. And your father was a Kohen, and five of his brothers were murdered at Auschwitz. So, Marius told us, uh, because he's a Kohen, uh, he was not able to enter 
the grounds uh, of the death camp uh, because of reasons of ritual uh, impurity. Now, when I heard that story, I said to Marius, well, you know, if you found out 13 years ago that you were Jewish, it's like you were born a second time. And like any 13-year-old Jewish male, uh, you need to have a bar mitzvah. Hmm. Uh, he thought I was crazy, and perhaps I am a little crazy, but um, I told him that if he was willing, we would arrange everything. And sure enough, two, three months later, he came to Jerusalem, and we organized a uh, bar mitzvah for him at the Kotel, uh, where he became a, a 64-year-old uh, bar mitzvah boy. Hmm. And I can tell you that when he went up uh, before the, the group, uh, you know, we recite the priestly blessing here in Israel every morning as part of the service. And uh, so when he went up and did the, the priestly blessing, uh, it was a very powerful scene. Uh, here was this person who was almost lost to our people, and now he was standing at the hotel um, giving us the priestly blessing. Hmm. Love it. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> this is. I don't know, I hear that, and I think Ami Sarachai. Um, we are, once again, coming to the end of time here, but um, I wanted to ask you about the final thing that I meant to ask you about, um, the Sicilian Jewish community. We have about uh, six or seven minutes to talk about Sicilian Jews, so if you could uh, let us know what you guys are doing there. Sure. Um, uh, Sicily, uh, back in 1492, was controlled by the, uh, the Spanish monarchs. So when uh, King Ferdinand and uh, Queen Isabella issued the Edict of Expulsion, uh, it also covered the, uh, the Jews who were living in Sicily. And... Uh, there were at least um, uh, 50 uh, communities of Jews spread throughout the island, anywhere from 37,000 to 50,000 Jews or more. Um, many left, but many were, were forced to convert, and essentially uh, Sicilian Jewry was uh, destroyed for all intents and purposes. Mm. In recent years, uh, we have seen, as I mentioned earlier, a growing number of these uh, B'nai Anusim, or Moranos, throughout the Spanish and Portuguese-speaking world who have been uh, looking to reconnect with the Jewish people. And that includes in southern Italy and Sicily, where, the, where forced conversions took place. And... Uh, Thank God. I know that the, um, the B'nai Menasha for years were writing to Israel to um, say, hi, here we are, we want to come back. Has something sparked Jews around the world? Like, I know it's a little bit of like a messianic question, but like, like is there a, a cause or an explanation about like why there is sort of this uh, feeling or things spreading throughout the world and people with Jewish ancestry, you know, sort of coming out and saying, like, here we are, come find us? Is there anything that you can pinpoint it, or it's just a phenomenon that you've noticed is happening? I've thought long and hard about that question, and um, I've reached the conclusion that there, there really is no rational explanation uh, behind it. In other words, if we were talking about one particular locality on the map where this uh, was taking place, then we could find all kinds of factors to explain it, whether they were uh, historical or social or economic or whatever they might be. 
but uh, what we're seeing nowadays is uh, literally people from uh, from Poland to Peru and uh, from Brazil to Belarus who are uh, suddenly uh, discovering their Jewish roots and looking to rejoin the Jewish people. They're knocking on our collective door, hmm. and they're saying, we want to come back. We want to be part of you. And many of them are sincere, and many of them are willing to go through uh, a full conversion and embrace a life of Torah and mitzvot. Uh, so I don't see any reason why uh, we shouldn't open the door to them and be more welcoming uh, towards them, because it takes a lot of courage in today's world, especially, uh, for someone to stand up and say, I want to join the Jewish people. With all the anti-Semitism that is raging in Europe and elsewhere, um, many of these people don't need it, so to speak. They don't need the headaches, of, uh, so to speak, of becoming uh, Jewish. But they feel that inner pull, or they feel that they owe it to their ancestors, or they feel that that's how they want to connect with uh, the Creator. Uh, so uh, they are... Uh, looking to come back, and I think that we, the Jewish people, have a historical responsibility, a moral responsibility, and a religious responsibility to facilitate that. And could you pinpoint, like, when sort of this rise in um, an interest or Jews trying to, uh, you know, people's Jewish uh, ancestry trying to come back started? Was this in the 90s when you, when you sort of heard the call of the B'nai Menashe, or was this before, or was it after? Well, each community and each country is very different, so it's, it's hard to pinpoint a particular moment in time or a tipping point of one sort or another. Um, in the case of Poland and some of the other Eastern European countries, uh, you know, it was, the, it was the fall of the Iron Curtain that, um, and the transformation of those societies into liberal Western democracies that made it possible for people to come out in the open and start to... Uh, re-engage with their Jewish roots. Uh, in China, with the descendants of the Kaifeng Jews, um, once China began to undergo uh, a process of liberalization and reform, and uh, the Internet uh, became popular there, it opened new avenues for people to obtain information that previously they never had access to. So that's something that's been going on also over the past decade and a half or mm. so. Um, in, in other places, uh, such as Spain and Portugal, uh, it, it may have begun already in the, in the late 1970s after those two countries went from being dictatorships to democracies. Uh, each place is very different, so in that sense it's hard to generalize. But one thing that we, we see again and again and again is this is a phenomenon that cuts across all socioeconomic boundaries, uh, from uh, very successful professionals to simple peasants, uh, from the first world to the third world and, and various worlds in between. Uh, it is a, a widespread phenomenon, and I am convinced that we are on the verge of a tidal wave of return to the Jewish people. If we are smart enough and wise enough to recognize this phenomenon and to realize how much it can strengthen us spiritually and demographically, 
you have a great opportunity here to bring back many of our lost brothers and sisters. Mike, I'm so sorry to cut you off. We are out of time again. We didn't even finish the Sicilians. Thank you so much for your time. This is really and truly fascinating. I could listen and listen. Um, I'm so excited to share these stories and this phenomenon with our listeners. We'll be writing this up for the website as well. I just want to add, if if anyone wants more information, they're welcome to visit our website, www.shavei.org. Thank you so much, and thanks so much for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.